go to Philippians chapter number four. And uh, as I was washing my mind a couple of mornings ago, Got a couple chapters left in Romans, and we'll have reread Paul's epistles in the last several weeks, and just some amazing stuff in the Word of God. Amen. So these uh, these are going to be some some especially the the this third verse that I'll read is is going to be um, familiar, but Philippians four. Verse number 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And uh, it's, it's verse number 11 that I'm uh, going to kind of draw your attention to. He says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And I want to talk to you about that word content. Father, thank you for your sweet, sweet presence that is manifested in this place this evening. Thank you for the touch of your spirit that we have felt. Thank you for refreshing and renewing that you have ministered. Thank you for the privilege of being in your presence again tonight, Lord. God, I pray now once again that you would minister to us through your word. God, that you would speak to us. Give us hearts that are good ground for the seed of your word. That it might produce in our lives what you intend. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. It's... We're heading into the time of year when, when the word contentment, at least for those that are parents with kids at home, it's really a nice word to have practiced in the house. There will be a lot of things requested in the next several weeks, month or so, that are really not needed. There will be kids that want new gaming systems, not because... There's really a problem with theirs other than the fact it's not the latest. And so discontentment sets in. And we, we normally think of contentment, I think, we normally think of contentment in the context of stuff, things. So I will tell you right at the get-go here that that's not the context of, of this this evening. Needless to say, there's a time and a place for that and... and um, if you and Jesus need to work on some contentment with stuff, then, then you and him work on it. But I, I was reading through Philippians. First of all, let me, let me, let me jump ahead to back up. 
We, we, boy, verse 13, what a, what a verse. That's one of those great verses to be used. I can do all things through Christ. Some of you may not know this name, a bunch of you will, but uh, Tim Tebow, former Florida Gators quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner, think national champion, would have on his little black strips. I never played football, so I was never cool enough to have those black strips under your eyes. I don't know what they're for other than to look cool. I think they're supposed to help with glare or something. I don't know. But but Tim Tebow always had Philippians 4.13 on his. Now, I'm assuming. I've never met Mr. Tim. I've never had a conversation with him. So I'm just going to... This is my assumption. I'm kind of assuming that Tim Tebow had Philippians 4.13 on his little things because the context was... I can throw touchdown passes, I can run through defensive linemen, I can do all of that through, we can win through Christ. And and a lot of times I think that's kind of sort of the way in which we use it. I can do all things through Christ, but uh, as I just said, I think Sunday night that there's context that is very important with any passage. And the context here is not really about doing great feats. The context of I can do all things is I've learned how to go through times when things are awesome and I've learned how to go through times when things are bad. I've learned what it's like to have more than I need. I've learned how to live with not having enough. I've learned that I can be content no matter what condition. I. And then he's after that he says I can do all things through Christ. So this all things through Christ, that's, that's the context of it. The Amplified Bible says, verse 11, this way, Not that I am implying that I was in any personal want, for I have learned how to be content, satisfied to the point where I am not disturbed or disquieted in whatever state I am. Satisfied to the point where I am not disturbed or disquieted in whatever state I am. The New Century Version says it this way. I'm not telling you this because I need anything. I have learned to be satisfied with the things I have and with everything that happens. I'll give you the, I guess, the primary context of this this evening. And once again, hope and trust and pray that I'm not here tonight just sharing something with you that was supposed to be just for me. When I reread this a few days ago, I got to realizing how much time I have spent in ministry, in my purpose, in my calling, being discontent. That I was not fully satisfied to the point where I was not disturbed or disquieted. That somebody else's calling and somebody else's ministry success, someone else's recognition, someone else's title, someone else's position did not disturb me. 
and disquiet. I've spent too much time with it, disturbing and disquieting me. Do we need to just close up shop and go home? Y'all are all, this doesn't apply. The King James says, 1 Timothy 6, this way, 6 says that uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. Listen to the way the Amplified says this. And it is indeed a source of immense profit for godliness accompanied with contentment. That contentment, which is a sense of inward sufficiency, is great and abundant gain. A sense of inward sufficiency. I wonder how many of us here tonight do not have a sense of inward sufficiency. No, not in the context of who who we are and what we are in the flesh. But an inward sufficiency in the context of who God has created us to be and what God has put in us. That, that, that's, that's, I'm going to read you in a moment the meaning of the word content, but that, that's in essence part of what it is. It, it is an, an inward, I'm not talking about fleshly sufficiency. I'm loved by you. That's who I am. And that ought to be enough. But it's often not. Paul said, I, 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 not that I speak in respect of want. That word want there means a falling short, especially pun, pin, penury. The root word of that means to be later, i.e. by implication to be inferior. Generally to fall short, to be deficient. I know in, 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 the, in the context of what Paul was saying, I think he was referencing some things and some circumstances. But, but, but I, I, I think this can apply in the context of ministry and calling. Paul said, I am not speaking from a place of, of, of not having enough or, or falling short or, or being behind. Paul said that, that we should not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. I believe that the, the average saint does not struggle with thinking too highly of themselves. There are a few folks that have the problem of thinking too highly of themselves. But I believe the majority of us struggle with the opposite. Not thinking highly enough. Feeling like I, I lack, I am in want, I am lagging behind. Paul said, I'm not speaking from that because he said, I have learned. Somebody say, learn. I have learned. To learn, the word learn means to learn. Deep, 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 deep. It means to to be apprised. 
It means to learn by use and practice. To be in the habit of, uh, to be in the habit of, to be accustomed to. Paul said, I, 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 I'm content, but the reason I'm content is because I have learned. I didn't do it automatically. I didn't do it all. I wasn't just automatically content. I have had to learn. How do you learn? By trying and failing. I, I, I think I had one somewhere in my office. I actually meant to bring it and have a little, you know, object lesson. I, I basically forgot. But, but, but if, I, if I had a football right now and, and I, had a, I had somebody else that was a decent athlete, I guarantee you I could catch 99% of the passes that are thrown to me that are catchable passes. Now, 45, 48 years ago, maybe even a little less, that wasn't the case. I dropped more than I caught. Why do, why, why do I say that? I'm not saying that to be arrogant or cocky. I'm saying that because I have, I have learned. I have practiced. I started to drop it on purpose, but then you wouldn't have believed me it was on purpose. So I decided, I've learned. I've learned. There's some of you I do that too. Because you, you, haven't, you haven't learned. You got you got to be willing to fail to learn. Isn't it amazing that there's nothing in life you can do without failing in the process of learning? And somehow in our walk with God and in ministry, the devil wants us to think if you are trying to learn and you fail, you are done. You're disqual. Since when can you ever learn something without trying and failing? That means there were times in which Paul was not content, but he tried again. Barnes' note says that that, that is to have, have a contented mind. Paul says that he had learned this. Probably by nature he had a mind as prone to impatience as others, but he had been in circumstances fitted to produce a different state of feeling. I said, if you've never, if you have yet to pray for God to give you patience, I would encourage you, do not pray that prayer. How many times have people prayed that? Some of you probably could legitimately share the the story. You prayed for patience. And next thing you know, you're going through all kinds of difficulties and trials and tests. And you're going, what in the world God is going on? And God's like, I'm just answering your prayer. You get patience by having to need it. Paul said, I have learned. I've learned to be content. I have learned that there is enough within me. Jesus said, who, 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 who by thinking about it can add one cubit to his stature? If you really study that verse out, it it's actually seems to be talking more about time than it does about height. 
who can add another hour, another second to his life. But for some reason, the King James says stature. But let, well, so let's just use the King James in that way, face value. I am a living witness tonight. You cannot add one single inch to your height by thinking about it. My 5'9 frame is a testimony. You can't. I was still waiting in my mid-twenties for my growth spurt. I knew it had to come. You can't. I got a question. Do you think Jesus says that just for a natural reason? Of course not. You cannot add to your... You cannot add to your spiritual giftings by thinking about it. God, give me this. I want this gift. I want this. If He didn't give it to you, He didn't mean for you to have it. But whatever He gave you, whatever you have on the inside, you are sufficient enough. The problem is, as long as I am discontent, I am never fulfilling my calling and my purpose to the fullest potential. I don't, I, 99% of the time, if I am up, my wife is down. And if I'm down, she's up. Every now and then we catch that 1%. I don't mean 99% one of us is, I just mean if one of us is up, you... Let me rephrase that. When one of us is really down, that's what I'm trying to say. Thankfully, the other one's usually up. It's a bad situation. When we both happen to be down at the same time. We've gone within just almost 60 minutes of I'm down and she's up and she's talking me off the ledge and preaching to me and telling me everything. And an hour later, I'm now having to do the same thing. But I'll sure take that over when we are both. Because at least when one of us is kind of help pull the other one out, I think there's some scriptures that kind of... Why you're not supposed to do this by yourself. You're not supposed to be alone and isolated. I'm trying to delay and not tell you all that I forgot why I was saying that, so... (laughs) It isn't working. It's still not coming back. So, <laughs> anybody know why I was saying that? No. I've, I've learned to be content. Oh, I know. I know. Now that I didn't know, I know. The other day, we got to we got we got one of those moments where we were both kind of down. We got to spiraling about all the things, ministry and calling and whatever wise that we aren't, or at least don't appear to be at this point. All the things we thought maybe would be a part of our ministry and things. The problem is, is you're not giving yourself fully to who you are 
and what you're supposed to be when, all, when you're all caught up and focused on what you're not and being discontent. Paul said, I, I learned. Learn. The word content means this. Sufficient for oneself. Strong enough or possessing enough to need no aid or support. Independent of external circumstances. Subjectively, it is contented with one's lot, with one's means, though the slenderest. Vine says it means sufficient in oneself. Self-sufficient, adequate, needing no assistance, hence content. Again, I'm talking here about your humanity and just your... I'm, I'm talking about who God made you to be, what God put in you, who God called you to be. That, that you, are, you are enough. It's enough. There, there, I've watched it for, for years and especially... In the last 15 years as a pastor, there, there, there are certain, there's been just, just, just take within Antioch, there are certain people that, that, that a lot of others struggle because they're not that person. Discontent. Envious, jealous. Feeling insufficient and not enough. Coming up next week on pause. Some of you used to. Some of you were been around long enough when it was meat. Then became manifest. Now pause. I used to. I used to. I wish I could say you know twenty five years ago, right around the time it first started. But I wouldn't be honest. Meat manifest. That all used to be a. Love-hate week for me. Because I would struggle throughout the week and I would struggle after it was over with not being content. Because I watch people operate in giftings and do things that I don't have. That God has at this point apparently not chosen to give me. And so rather being content that I am who I am and they are who they are, I get all wrapped up with who they are and who I'm not. I'm I'm making sense here tonight. Uh, All right, all right, all right. You're all quiet because you're listening, but my name's not Chester, it's David. Bishop, the more quieter you are, the more quieter you are, the more nervous that makes me. I don't care if I have been preaching 30 years. Or teaching. Discontent. No, Paul said, I've learned. I don't have to learn how to be discontent. And again, hear me, please. Hear me. I'm trying to help you tonight. I'm not talking about discontent from just simply a point of, of just trivial, natural, jelly, petty jelly. I'm not talking about that. If that's what you're dealing with, then... You just need to go pray through. I'm, I'm talking about the enemy. 
working on your mind that you haven't learned to just be who you are and who God made you. And if you're not that, if you don't do that, you are enough. Who you are and what you are is enough. It, it really, it's just as simple as what Paul talked about when he talks about the body. I got all these different parts of my body and they all have different functions and different roles. Even, even my two hands operate differently. Paul said it. I don't remember the exact body parts that he uses, so I'll just, whatever comes to mind, Paul, you, the, 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 the hand can't say to the feet, you're not, you're not a hand, you're not a hand, so, so we don't need you. Or in the context of this tonight, the hand can't say to the foot, you're not a hand, so I'm better than you are. The foot has a function, the hand has a function. The hand needs to be content with being the hand, and the foot needs to be content with being the foot. There's probably somebody here tonight, maybe in your past, or maybe some of you that still can. I wouldn't be surprised there's a couple guys here in your past that you could you could have walked down this whole aisle on your hands. Feet up and you 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 learn to do that. That's not the most efficient way to get around. Because your hands weren't made to carry you that way. I've said it before, if I don't have any socks or shoes on and there's a piece of trash or something on the ground and I feel like being lazy, I can use my toes and pick it up and save my back. I'm not feeding myself with my feet. Why? Somebody, I'm I'm, I'm not preaching at you or teaching at you. This is another one of those nights where uh, if there was a mirror right here, Why is it when it comes to who God has chosen you and me to be in the body the same way in which it's okay for our natural members to be what they're supposed to be? Why isn't that okay for the spiritual members to be? Because the enemy knows if he can keep you focused on being discontent with who you are and what God made you to be, you'll never fully fulfill that. Every moment I give to thinking about what I'm not, who I'm not, what I think I ought to be, what someone else is that I'm not, every second I give to that is a second I am not fully giving myself to who God made me to be. I've already told you about over the past couple of years and walking off Sunday mornings, especially walking to my chair immediately from the pulpit, picking up my phone and looking at the count for that morning and just going from this great service, God moving and working, and the numbers are down that day and just crash. Well, there's another thing I've now stopped doing in the last couple of weeks. Because the other thing I would do, not as quickly, but I would do it within an hour or two, is I would get on my phone and I would go on to the Antioch Central Facebook page and I would see how many views we had that morning. Because you know what? I mean, we had a crowd, but hey, they may not all be here, but look at these all people were connected to the service. <laughs> and then I'd go over to the Antioch, the Apostolic page, and, and that's where uh, Antioch North, Antioch Central, and Antioch West oftentimes has stuff and 
And I know all of you are way more spiritual than I am, and you're way more mature. So let me just bring myself down another notch on your, on your, on your page of me. And, and, and I, would, I would actually, unfortunately, on the Antioch page, I would happen to peek not just how many views that we have. How many views did North have, and how many views did West have? I know y'all are all way past me. And then, you know, just, just forget that one. That's a whole nother. Just, just out of, look at that Antioch Central deal. Man, back there in COVID, boy. I'd get done with a service from my living room, and i go look. 800, 900 views. What you don't know is that a view could be anywhere from a few seconds to the whole thing. And I know, I know some of you this doesn't apply to, and, and you, are, you are the wise ones in the group, at least in this regard. But before you go judging some of us on this, I promise you, we got something we could judge you on. But we don't judge, so... Like, yeah, I know some of you are going to have ah, whatever, but since when did our value and worth become based on how many views or how many likes that you get on a post? And don't tell me I'm the only one that's ever paid attention to that. Yeah. Oh, look, man, we, we, whatever views, and then I come across some other church. They had... 780,000 views. So whatever God did and however God used me, I could have walked out of this service and as I'm walking out and it's happened and I thank God for it and I pray that my head never swells from it because I like to keep getting it at least from time to time. But I've walked out of services and somebody walked Stop me and pastor, thank you so much. You, I, that is exactly what I needed. I just had a conversation yesterday and you just went down the list of questions I asked and you answered. And I'm at, oh, praise God. Great. As I'm walking out devastated because we only had 78 views this morning. What in the world? You know what? There, there's, <laughs> The problem is we keep praying, we, we, I don't think I'm the only one. We keep praying for God to do stuff that God's not going to do. If I had a hand, I don't have a hammer, I got, well, I won't use it because I don't want to buy a new one. But if I started just whacking my hand with this hammer and then started praying, oh God, please help my hand not to hurt, please help my... It's a, you don't need to pray and fast. You don't need an angel. You don't need a rhema. You need to put the mic down. And some of you are dealing with, I, I, I think I can say I know because I'm not, I'm not telling you I'm over it all, but I've, I've made some decisions just in the last couple of weeks because I'm realizing, wait a minute. I was fine until I looked at that. I was fine until I saw how many views they had compared to how many views. What in the world? I 
I know Paul didn't have social media. I know, I know he didn't have to worry about likes and views on his YouTube page and all of that. But Paul had some stuff that he had to learn. He had to learn. It did not come automatic. Again, some of you need to stop beating yourself up over things God's trying to help you learn. If He's expecting you to learn it, He's also understanding you're going to fail sometimes as you are learning it. That's the way you learn. I wish I memorized it because every now and then it pops up in messages. And, but but I, years ago, I remember seeing a poster and, and it was some picture of Michael Jordan, I think like in a game shot or something. And, and, but then there was, there was some statements that, you know, he was known for his last second buzzer beaters and known for all the foul shots he made and all this other stuff. But, but what this, 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 the, 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 the writing was pointing out was how many times he took the last second shot in a game and missed it. And that was way more than the ones he made. How many foul shots he missed? How many other things he failed at? And, and, it, and it concluded by saying something along the lines of, I succeeded because I failed. The enemy's trying to tell us we're failures because we failed. You're not a failure until you quit. A righteous man falls. A righteous man falls. A righteous man falls. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. Not if I fall, but when I fall, I shall arise. Do you know what? I could make it to the back wall falling as long as I fall forward and get up. Fall forward and get up. May not be the most pleasant way to get there, but I can get there. If that's the way I cross the finish line into heaven, so be it. As long as I, you may be going full stride in your best form. If I'm down on the ground crawling across the line, as long as I get to the end, that's what matters. Watch this. I'm sure there's plenty of others, but this is just the one that just felt like the Lord quickened to my mind. And in, in, in the book of Esther, of course, Esther is... Often, you know, kind of the main character focused on in the book of Esther, but obviously there's some other very significant, important characters, and 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 this is this is one of the more known, but for negative reasons. In Esther chapter three, verse one, after these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, and advanced him and his seat above all the princes that were with him. This guy was made to be the second top dog. <laughs> he, if I interpret that, what it's saying is he became the number two guy. <laughs> but watch this. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman for the king so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. You are the number two guy. It really doesn't matter who bows or who doesn't bow. You are the man. And the one guy, all the other servants bowed 
Everybody else in the king's gate bowed, but Haman, and that became, or excuse me, but Mordecai, and that became the thorn in Haman's. He, he got so wrapped up in the guy that didn't bow, he wasn't enjoying everything he had. Watch this. Then, so, you know, the whole story is unfolding, and, and now... Uh, it, it, Esther's about to, the, the, the decree has gone out, the children of Israel are going to be killed, and Esther's now inviting the king, and, and, and she also invites Haman to come before her, Esther 5 and 7. Then answered Esther and said, My petition and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my petition and to perform my request, let the king and Haman come to the banquet that I shall prepare for them, and I will do tomorrow as the king hath said. Then went Haman forth, watch this, then went Haman forth that day joyful and with a glad, I'm going to the queen's banquet. Kind of like me, we just had a great service, God just moved, people got saved, till I got to my phone. He, he went forth joyful, he had a glad heart, but... You're the number two guy. You just got invited to go to the queen's banquet. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, he stood not up nor moved for him. He was full of indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself. And when he came home, he sent and called for his friends and Zeresh, his wife. And Haman told them of the glory of his riches and the multitude of his children and all things wherein the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above the princes and servants of the king. Haman said, Moreover, yea, Esther the queen did let no man come in with the king unto the banquet that she had prepared but myself, and tomorrow I am, I, and I, am I invited unto her also with the king. I bet you they were sitting there, Wow, you're kidding, you're going... Haman, you're going to be with the queen and the, the king. Yeah. Wow. Well, I bet you his his wife had her Instagram out. She was getting out the word. My husband, my man's is going to be with the king and the queen. But watch this. Watch this. Yet all this. Number two man, elevated above all the other princes, being invited to the queen's banquet. All of this availeth me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. What in the world? You've got all of this that's been given to you. You're enjoying all of this, but the only thing you're focused on is one single guy. What is, maybe who, who is, what is your Mordecai tonight? What is the thing that's got you so distracted you can't enjoy everything God has given and everything God's trying to do? I'm, I'm, I'm really, the last couple of weeks, I really want to rein my transparency in and I feel like it just just keeps... Why, why am I going to sit and, 
and, and, and be discontented when I, haven't, when I don't get invited to preach someplace or do some certain thing. Really? I don't know why. I'm trying to learn. I feel like I'm falling a lot more than I'm getting up. You got all of this. Haman, you've got all of this. And yet the one thing you're worried about is Mordecai. Now watch this. Then said Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends unto him, let, gall- let a gallows be made of 50 cubits. Watch, watch this, watch this. Oh, Jesus. You better be careful when you're struggling discontent with discontent and you start accumulating a gathering. The old saying is, birds of a feather flock together. What's really sad is people that are bitter usually are not quite aware of how much their bitterness is blinding them. And so they just so happen, and they don't even realize that they end up being attracted and attracting other bitter people. They, they said, well, you know what, if that's what's, if that's what's bothering you, then, then let's, why don't you do this? Watch this. This, is what, this wasn't Haman's idea originally. His, his wife says, Build a gallows of fifty cubits high, and tomorrow speak thou unto the king that Mordecai be hanged thereon. Then go thou in merrily with the king unto the banquet, and the king and the thing please Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. The very thing that drove him crazy drove him to create the gallows that he would eventually hang on. Because the very gallows that he built for Mordecai, he ends up losing his life on those very gallows. You better be careful what you're building and who you're building gallows for and who you're trying to hang because you may end up hanging in their place. It was, it was David's men when Saul was in the same cave as him. It was David's men who came to David and said, Hey, hey, David, I'm pretty sure this is God working for you right now. Look at God has given Saul into your hands. Oh, boy, this is just taking a turn that I wasn't expecting. Somebody needs to hear me tonight in the Holy Ghost. Here's your chance, David. He's been trying to kill you. In fact, that's the very reason he's in this cave. He's hunting you down. Kill him. You better be careful who your friends are. You better be careful who you're talking to when you're struggling. You better be careful who you're running to when you're discontent. Because I was about to say the devil will send people your way, but I'm going to rephrase that. I'm not so sure it's the devil. God will allow people to cross your path. And if you're looking for somebody to share your discontent, He'll help you find them. Because that will further justify you and your discontent. 
Go ahead, Haim, build some gallows. It was the thing that was his source of discontentment that became his downfall. I was listening to a, a book a couple of months ago now, I guess. It has to do with the mind. And the author was telling a story about some of his dreams and ambitions as a baseball, professional baseball player. That He got injured, I think it was in high school, I think, right before a championship game. He was supposed to be the starting pitcher and some just kind of fluke accident. Ended up not being able to play in that game and things began to unravel with his, with his baseball career. And eventually he, he came to the revelation. You see, we, we, we always have a, we get upset with God over the things he didn't do. And he said, you need to learn to thank God for the things. Or I think the way more so he said it was, you need to thank God for the prayers he didn't answer. His point was, if God would have answered his prayers that he was praying for the career, he wouldn't have ended up where he was, and God's purpose and plan would not have been fulfilled. I really, I said it earlier and sort of said it facetiously, I'm a little bit embarrassed at 51 to tell you that honestly, into my 20s, I still struggled. My dad's six foot one. My younger Nine-year younger brother is six foot five. I was 20 and a half when we got married. He was, I think, 12. Basically was as tall as me in my wedding. He was the best man. I just knew. I always knew I was going to be at least as tall as my dad. I mean, come on. Most guys are as tall as their dad. I wasn't gambling on the fact I'd just be taller than my grandfather. He was like five five. I guess I, I guess I ought to be thankful because I'm tall enough. I've never was made fun of for being short, but I have never been told I was tall until I went to the Philippines. <laughs> I enjoyed my week in the Philippines because I was an above-average height male, <laughs> and don't mean that at all disrespectful. The Filipino. Filipino people are some of the sweetest people, just naturally speaking. And I honestly, I literally was holding out. I, I even tried making some bargains with God. I remember I'd, I'd Brother David, I'd, I'd go, you know, ninth grade playing basketball. Basketball was my, that was my favorite sport. That was my sport. And I, I'm not... You know, most guys that are shorter are usually fast. I wasn't tall, and I ain't fast. <laughs> and I remember after that ninth grade, I'd come back 10th grade year, and I'd see some, we played in this small Christian school league, and I'd come back that next year, and I'd see some guys that I played against the, the, my, my, my freshman year that we were basically eye to eye, and now in my sophomore year, they're two or three inches taller. I'm like, that's all right. <laughs> next year, baby, next year is going to be my year. I come back next year. They're six inches taller. 
All right. And then, and then he was, you know what? David Robinson grew like four or five inches at the Naval Academy. So I'm like, hey, if he can do that, come on. I mean, I don't know why it mattered once I was out of high school and just playing ball, Rick, but I struggled. I, I, I had a serious struggle. I know that may seem very trivial, but I did. And probably in my late 20s, my dad came to me one time. He said, son, the Lord, Lord spoke to me something for you. Okay. And if you think you always want the bishop getting something from the Lord for you, that ain't we're going to hold out, see which direction this is going before we get too excited. <laughs> but he said, he said, the Lord told me that if he would have let you have let you grown as much as you wanted to have grown, it would have, it would have cost you your soul. Not saying I was good enough by any stretch, not saying, but I loved it enough. If I'd have had the height to go with, I had a decent game in the 80s. I ain't comparing it just like y'all don't compare, you know, Larry Bird to them today. I'm not saying it's the same. But I, I, I could see how. So while I'm upset or had been upset for what God didn't do, what if, what if? What if the person with the ministry that's been your thorn in the side because you're so envious and jealous, what if God would have given you that ministry but you would have ended up shipwreck? That's what Paul, Paul said. I, I, I'm concerned that if after I preach to everyone else, I end up... What, what if... What if you'd have gotten your dream spiritual calling? Haman, you, you had it made. But you got so focused on your discontent that it literally cost him his life. May not cost you your physical life, but if you stay so focused on your spiritual discontent, on your discontent, it could cost you your spiritual life. Kind of a flip side of that, staying in the same book, but changing characters. Esther, she's about to take her turn. They spent. I know most of you know the story. Listen, they spent a whole year. All, they, all these virgins get called to the, to the palace for the king. They had to spend an entire year just preparing. They spent a whole year preparing to come before the king, and some of us won't even give two minutes of preparation. So when it was time for each of them to come before the king, there was all kinds of stuff that was made available. Esther 2.13, Then came every maiden unto the king. Whatsoever she desired was given her to go with her out of the house of the women unto the king's house. I, I, I think that meant jewels and clothing. and There was all this, all this stuff to pick from. And one by one, they would decide what they wanted, and they'd go before the king. And one by one, there was 
nothing significant that transpired. But watch this. When it came Esther's turn, in the evening she went, and on the morrow she returned into the second house of the women to the custody of Shazgaz, the king's chamberlain, which kept the concubine. She came in unto the king no more, except the king delighted in her and that she was and that she were called by name. Now when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her for his daughter, was come to go in unto the king's chamber, unto the king, she required nothing but what, the, what, what Haggai, the king's chamberlain, the keeper of, a, of the women, appointed. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all them that looked upon her. Rather than being discontent with who and what she was and seeking all this other stuff, she just submitted herself to Haven. And I, I, I think, I can't show you verse where it says this, but I, I have a feeling that Esther went before the king pretty much just, just herself. Not all the fancy jewels drawing attention, not what, but just how many times does the enemy make us feel like we can't come before the king because you, just you, is not enough? Contentment is self-sufficiency. God has created, God has put within me what I'm supposed to be, who I'm supposed to be. Watch what Paul says, Philippians 3. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I, I shared this with the deacons in our pre-service prayer a couple of, couple of weeks ago. Philippians, if you, if you go on Google and do a search of the chronological order of Paul's epistles, the order in which they're in the Bible is not the chronological order. The earliest estimation that Philippians was written was number six. More commonly, eight or higher. So even at that, Paul has already written five letters. He's already seen and done amazing things. And he's still saying, I still haven't gotten it yet. I still haven't reached for it. There's two sides to that coin. One side is if you think you've arrived, you need to go read your Bible. If you think you've been in ministry a couple of years and you've got it all, you need to go. You, you are so mistaken. But then the other side of the coin is if you've been in ministry for decades and you feel like you still haven't gotten there yet, it's okay. Paul didn't either. He said, I'm still reaching. I'm still striving for that thing that I was apprehended for. Then he says this, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The problem is too many times we, and some of us may very well be, we are pressing for the wrong mark. I'm pressing for the mark of who he is or who she is. 
I'm trying to strive to become who they are. That's not the mark Paul was talking about. He says, I press towards the mark. What's the mark? In the context of this message tonight, the mark is the thing that God created you to be, the person that God called you to be. That's the mark to strive for. And as long as I'm striving for Him... And that person and this thing and that thing and not simply realizing I am who God made me to be. So I just need to be who God made me to be. I will never fulfill my calling, my purpose. Orange note says, with regards, I pressed towards the mark as he who was running a race did. The mark means properly the object set up at a distance at which one looks or aims, and hence the goal or post which was set up at the end of a race course and which was to be reached in order that the prize might be won. Here it means that, here it means that which is at the end of the Christian race in heaven. Again, in the context of tonight, it's that thing that God's called you to be. Paul said, I've, I have learned to be content. I've learned. How many of you believe God made you? God created you. How many of you wish you could sing better than you do? How many of you wish you could just sing? (laughs) You wish you could sing better, Brother Tom? Yeah. Do you think if it was God's purpose and plan for your life to be a great singer, couldn't He have made you a... Does God make mistakes? I know you yeah, you can do you can do you know you can get voice training and voice coach and all that, but I'm just gonna tell you some people it it all the coaching in the world. It just that's why it's such a wonderful thing. The psalmist said, make a joyful noise. The sad thing is when somebody thinks they're really singing, but they just making a joyful noise. Just get on Instagram for a few minutes. You'll see what that's all about. He could have. I've, I've wished that. I, I've, I've, I've had people tell me more in the last couple of years. You got to grow. I forget where I was. Uh, oh, in England. I, I, Nathaniel was with me in England, and so he played, and I sang a few songs. This lady come up afterwards told me just how just relaxing and comforting my voice was. Not really. I, she did, but I, I, I don't... I do... I mark it down. I think, I'm, I think I get to sing again at the Christmas service. I can get up here Sunday morning and bust out in a chorus and be okay. I promise you I'm going to get up there and for the first 30 seconds my voice is going to be squeaking and cracking. And Man, I want... God, God made me. God made you. I wonder, 
I wonder what you would truly become if you would just truly become content in that. I believe there are things that if God so chooses, He can add. But if you're more obsessed with trying to get God to add something He hasn't already added than you are with just using what you've already got. First of all, He's probably never going to add. But if He did, you'd probably end up hanging yourself with it. I have learned whatever state I'm in to be content. Some of you feel like, boy, everybody, it's all, everybody, somebody else is always gets the, the promotion around. Somebody else always gets to... If that's what they're supposed to do, so be it. That does, that's not success or failure for you. I told you, I just preached it a couple Sunday nights ago. I sat there weeks ago, general conference, struggling with some of the very stuff I'm teaching you about tonight. What in the world? I'm, I'm called. I know I'm called. I know I've been chosen for here. That may not, there may be some point in the future that that changes. I, I don't expect it to. What else do I need? Because at the end of it all, God's not going to judge you on what did you do compared to what somebody else did. All He wants to know is what did you do with the calling and the giftings that I gave you? These young girls got up here during back to school revival and then couple weeks later, man, they get up there, act like they've been singing all their life. I talked a couple of them after. They said they were nervous. I wanted to tell them, you're not supposed to lie. Because it sure didn't seem that way. Other people, you've been singing all your life and you're still scared to death. Learn. 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 the other struggle I'm, I'm quitting we got ministerial training class so I'm <laughs> the other struggle is it's not just with what we see others that we are discontent it's the thing we made up in our minds that we thought this is who I thought I would be this is what I th- I've learned in whatever Calling, whatever gifting, whatever role, whatever responsibility, I have learned to be content. You know, the scary thing is sometimes God will open doors that He knows will eventually be your downfall. Because sometimes the only way to possibly save you is you've got to hit the bottom. I don't know about you, but I think I would rather just kind of learn how to be content. 
than to have to go through hanging myself with what made me so discontented. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that you would help every one of us. Lord, I believe according to your word and the things that your word describes, it seems as though we are living in the, in the last days. And Lord, while there's a whole lot of negative and discouraging, frightening stuff going on, there's also some promises that there is going to be an amazing, awesome move of your spirit. And God, for that to take place, there's going to be people that you use. There's going to be vessels that you use. Lord, we want it to be more than just simply used. We want our souls to be saved. So God, I pray tonight that you would help each one of us to learn. Lord, as much as I would love for it to be just a supernatural spur-of-the-moment impartation, I think the principle is it's a lesson to be learned, and that means there's some, there's some ups and downs, there's some trying and failing. But I pray tonight, God, that you would help every one of us learn to be content. And whatever the calling, whatever the role, whatever the position is that you've placed us. God, I thank you for this congregation that we call Antioch Central. That We're not the church, but I trust and believe we're a part of the church. And, but I pray, God, for this local body. God, I pray that every, every element the enemy would try to use of jealousy to stir us against one another or to produce discontentment in us. God, I pray that you would help us to learn to not give in to those distractions, those temptations, but to learn to be content. Help us to learn to be content. That we are enough. That who you've made us, what you've called us to be, what you use us to do, as long as we are responsive to that, Lord, and follow wherever you lead, that's enough. It's not measured by anything else. It's not measured by any other worldly measurements. It's just reaching for the mark that you have established for each one of our lives with the calling and the purpose you've given us. Help us tonight. I pray, God, that this word would settle in our hearts, that it would impact our lives. God, don't let it just simply be a lesson that took up our time tonight, but let it be seed that produces a change. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. God bless you.